The First United Methodist Church is a church of open hearts, open minds, and open doors, seeking to help everyone come to know Jesus Christ, both in Altamont and around the world. Our worship services are at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings, and all are welcome in person after the COVID crisis, but now online at our YouTube channel, Altamont First UMC. You can also find the link on Facebook at our Facebook page, First United Methodist Church Altamont. We will begin worship shortly.
Good morning, church. Welcome to worship this morning. I'm Reverend Paige Campbell, and this is First United Methodist Church here in Altamont, Illinois. I welcome those of you who are here and those of you who are watching online, and we are so glad that you are here with us. For those of you who are here, I invite you to take, there's an attendance pad in your pew. If any of you haven't done so already, sign that and then pass it along your pew. We have one per pew, so you don't have to worry about passing it to too far away. What a beautiful Lord's Day morning, amen? Oh my goodness, it's wonderful outside, and, and some of our uh, farmers are out planting, others are waiting for things to dry off some more. We pray that the rain will hold off long enough that good farming can take place, um, but we're also thankful for just the beauty of spring as uh, our schools move towards finishing, and as we just celebrate just the wonders that God has provided for us. And so I'm so glad that you have chosen to take this time to worship this morning. I invite you to take a few moments then to focus yourself and prepare yourself for this worship time as we light the candles. I invite you now to stand in body or spirit and join with me in our call to worship. Break down the barriers that divide us, O oh Lord. Break down the walls of hostility and fear. Melt the barbed wire of anger and hatred. For we are called to newness in Christ Jesus. Come, let us worship the God who removes obstacles from our paths. Let us praise God who seeks to unite us in peace. Amen. Let us continue our worship by singing, O Church of God United. It's number 547 in your hymnal.
God, we want our worship today to reflect our love that we have for you. We pray, Lord, that our songs would be beautiful offerings, pointing only towards you. We ask that each moment of this time together would bring you great praise and glory, for you alone, God, are worthy of our praise. So, Lord, guide us as we worship that all that we sing and we speak and we pray would honor your great name. Amen. I invite Rich Giesking up uh, to share a word from the Staff Parish Relations Committee. I think most of you are aware that we are <clears throat> transitioning to a halftime uh, pastor and the um, district superintendent has communicated the following <clears throat> we as of July 1st we will have a halftime pastor and it will be Pastor Page <clears throat> we'll be sharing her with Centenary United Methodist Church in Effingham um, but she will be here <clears throat> every Sunday morning at 9 so nothing changes in terms of worship. It all stays the same every Sunday with the exception of scheduled um, vacation and things like that. Um, the rest of the part-time is yet to be worked out. That's something that's a work in progress. It'll be addressed at the uh, scheduled SPRC meeting. Okay. I know it's been tense for all of us, and so I'm glad that we have the word. I hope it's a word you are glad to hear. I am. Um, I so look forward to continue to being your pastor um, as we, you know, move into a change, but still um, a wonderful ministry opportunity here in Altamont. So, uh, like Rich said, what exactly the week will look like um, is yet to be determined. And um, as I said in the newsletter, um, you know, there will be some things that, you know, I did full time that I would not have time for any longer. And so that will be spaces where maybe you are called to to step in. So we will just have to see how all that works out. And that will all be effective on July 1st. So when I come back from my spiritual renewal leave. So 
Uh, I ask you to continue to pray for me. I also ask you to pray for Effingham Centenary. Their senior pastor is John Talawaga, who is coming to us from the Philippines. Um, he and his family hope to leave for the United States at the end of June. So we pray that they have a good interview with the embassy to get their visas and then a safe flight over. And then there's that huge transition of coming to the United States and pastoring an American congregation. And I feel honored to be able to walk alongside John in that. And I know that Effingham Centenary is looking forward to that as well. But please add John and his family to your prayers as well. I invite the children to pay attention, gather around their TVs, uh, whatever it is that you're watching for some children's time. So I have this here thing. I'm gonna turn my microphone off for just a second. That was really loud. I'm glad I turned off my microphone. You all know what this is? Do you all know what this is at home? All together now? It's a whistle, exactly. And so who are some of the people you know who have whistles? Uh, teachers, coaches, yep, very good. Um, referees, lifeguards. Does the crossing guard still have a whistle? No? Ah, oh, bummer. Okay, let's pretend the crossing guard still has a whistle. <laughs> But basically, the reason why what makes whistles so great, other than them being loud, is it gets your attention, right? It, it makes you pay attention, and, and it's that little warning sign, like, hey, pay attention. See what you're supposed to do next. Um, now, sometimes in sports when we blow the whistle, it's because you did something wrong, but we want to correct you, right, so that you do it right. So if you're the lifeguard, and you blow the whistle in the swimming pool, it's because someone's probably doing something unsafe, and you want everyone to be safe. Um, you know, the crossing guard blows the whistle as a sign to the kids and the cars around them that children are going to cross the street and to pay attention um, to keep people safe. And the same was true in the law that Jesus and the Jewish people of his time followed. It was to keep them safe. The Apostle Paul says that we were guarded under the law, means, meaning like the law was kind of like a lifeguard or a crossing guard. It was there to kind of make sure that we stay safe and that we don't do things that hurt ourselves or hurt other people. So there were laws such as don't steal. Good law, right? You know, um, uh, you know don't lie. Another good law. Um, but question for you, do you need a crossing guard to help you cross the street for the rest of your life, Jaden? No, exactly. Do I hope that you get to some point where you swim in the swimming pool, you don't need a lifeguard? Yeah, we hope so too. We grow up. We don't need all the guards all the time. And so that's because we know the rules of safety. We know what we're supposed to do. So we don't always need a crossing guard to help us cross the street anymore. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, knew this, which is why he said the law was our disciplinarian. The law was the one that made us follow the rules until Christ came, until Jesus came. Meaning that Jesus knew the rules, like don't steal, don't lie, and that kind of thing, 
And he put those rules in our hearts so that we would stay safe by following Jesus. And so Jesus knew that if you follow me and if you listen to me, all those rules, well, you'll know to do them because you know that's a part of who I am and what I want you to be. So I could blow this whistle one more time, but my ear hurts after doing that, so I'm not going to. But follow the rules, listen to the lifeguard, to the crossing guard, to the referee, to your coach, to your teachers so that you'll stay safe. And know that if you follow Christ, if you follow Jesus, listen to him, he will help you follow the rules of kindness and love and generosity that he wants for us. Amen. In this time of worship now, I invite our ushers to come forward to collect our morning tithes and offerings. And for those of you that are watching from home, know that you can give online or you can mail in your offering to the First United Methodist Church here in Altamont. Awesome. Technology is not liking us these last two weeks, so we're trying to get that fixed. But it's all good. As we enter into our time of prayer, 
We ask you um, to remember and pray for Drew DeVore, who is recovering, but still gets tired easily. So prayer for his uh, recovery. We ask for prayers for Steve Francis, who had surgery on Thursday and is recovering in the hospital. And we ask for prayers for Mike Webster, who has experienced a stroke and is in intensive care in St. Louis. We know that there are other prayers that we have upon our hearts and other prayers that are listed in our bulletin. So I invite you now into a few moments of personal prayer time. This morning, Lord, we come to you in gratitude. We come simply and humbly. We take this time, Lord, to thank you for all the ways that you've provided for us, all the ways that you've cared. Lord, you have provided us with food and shelter, so help us not to take for granted the gift of home and food. And God, we are so grateful for the love of family and community. We're thankful for this beautiful place to gather in your name and to worship you. Because God, in this time, in this space, we experience you. We are challenged by you. We are encouraged by you. And we are reminded of who you are and what you've done for us. We have been blessed, Lord, with the fruits of your spirit, and we are thankful for all the ways through love, patience, kindness, and gentleness, your spirit has moved us. So God, continue to transform us and the work that we do so that we can love you and, more importantly, love others, love everyone. God, we pray for all of those we know who are in need. Lord, heal those who are in need of healing. Grant patience to those who need patience. Grant forgiveness for our sins. Help us to give forgiveness in those places where we need to. Lord, provide peace where there needs to be peace safety where there needs to be safety, and justice where we need justice. Lord, we pray for your church universal, that we might be good and firm and strong witnesses of your spirit, of your love in the world. Lord God, we pray all of this and more 
and now we join our voices together to pray to you, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Let us join our voices together and sing the hymn, Grace Alone. Every promise we can make, every prayer and step of faith, Oh, 
our scripture this morning is a continuation of our reading. What did I do this time? Every promise And then just go back to the Galatians slide. Every time, it's okay. We are reading from Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, which, if you'll remember, is a section in the center of what we know as modern-day Turkey. And we are reading from chapter 3, verses 23 to 29. I'll just go ahead and read it for us. Now, before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came, so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. May the Lord add a blessing to our hearing, reading, and understanding of the scripture this morning. We're familiar with the term revolution, right? Revolutions can be good. Revolutions can be bad. Revolutions can be bloody. And revolutions can be bloodless. If you look up the word revolution in the dictionary, it says a forcible overthrow of a government or social order in favor of a new system. And revolutions take place in lots of settings. They can be government revolutions. They can be cultural revolutions. I was just reading a book that was set at the time of the American Revolution. And then I just watched a movie about another type of revolution. How many of you like auto racing? Anyone? Some of you. Okay. All right. Excellent. I grew up knowing that the month of May no, means only one thing. And say again? Indy 500. Indy 500, right. It used to be that the entire month of May was dedicated to preparing for that race. There was two weeks of practice, there was like a week of practice, and then there was qualifying, and then there was another week of qualifying with the big bubble at 4 o'clock on Sunday afternoons as the last racer tried to make it into the race and then followed by the race then on Memorial Day weekend. My family growing up loved auto racing and we have family friends still that live in Indianapolis. And so it was our tradition every weekend of Mother's Day, which was the second weekend in May, we would go to Indianapolis for the first weekend of qualifying at the Indianapolis 500. I have never been to the race but I have seen every speed record set in the last 30 years. I was there when they broke 200 miles an hour. I was there when they broke 210, 215, 220, up to, I think the record is 236. 
I was there for that. They don't even go that fast anymore because we have this thing now called safety. Who would have figured, you know? So racing is in our blood. And back, especially in the, in the 70s, there were several really big races, right? The Indianapolis 500 was one. Another one was the 24 hours at Le Mans in France. And that would be there would be a team of drivers who had to drive the exact same car over and over and over again on a racetrack for 24 hours. It started at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. You raced rain or shine 24 hours and then there is the winner. And that was a crown jewel of racing. Now back in the 60s, Ferrari in the early 60s, Ferrari was the king of Le Mans. Now, have any of you ever heard of a Ferrari car? Okay, some of you have. So what color is a Ferrari? Yes, red. It's only red. Only red. And in those days, those Ferraris just dominated the racetrack. Now, in those same days, Ford wanted to change its image. How many of you have seen the movie Ford v. Ferrari? Oh yeah, okay, all right. Mm -hmm. Now you're with me on this now, aren't you? Right. So Ford in the early 60s wants to revamp their image because apparently Fords weren't thought of very highly. Um, you know, uh, maybe people thought that Ford stood for fix or repair daily. Have you ever heard of that one? Um, then there's also found on road dead. Um, or first on rubbish dump. Um, and then there was the joke, uh, speed kills, drive a Ford and live forever. I drive a Ford, just to tell you, and I like my Ford just fine. <laughs> but in the early 60s, they had an image problem and they wanted to fix it. And so they decided they needed to, you know, bump up their image especially with the younger folks with a disposable income. So their first idea was to buy Ferrari and get into the, to the racing business seriously like Ferrari, and that way people would think Ford fast. Um, Ferrari, at the last minute, dumped the idea of the merger. They actually merged with Fiat, which probably in the long run wasn't their best move. But anyway, so Ford was then run by Henry Ford II, and he was mad. So he decided that he was going to just, he was going to beat Ferrari at their own game. And so he put together a stellar team of designers and engineers and drivers, including Carol Shelby of the Shelby Mustang. Um, and uh, where is his name? Miles. What was Miles? Miles, 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 Miles. Miles, Ken Miles, there he was, was a, a British driver who really helped with the engineering and they put together the best Fords Ford had ever made. And so in 1965, they tried to win Le Mans, and they didn't make it, but in 1966, they dominated. Ford took the top three spots at Le Mans. And then Ford won Le Mans for four years straight. Ferrari has not won Le Mans since. This was a revolution in the car industry and in the race world because suddenly it was shifted. It wasn't just the Italians who had speed and the color red. Ford was there to say, we are the new people, the new way. 
This is the same time that the Mustang came out, and of course, the Shelby Mustang. <sighs> Lovely car. I still like Mustangs, even the bad Mustangs of the 80s. I like the Mustang. So this was a revolution in the car industry, and it changed the way people saw Ford, it changed Le Mans, and it was a revolution. When Paul wrote his letters to all of the churches in the early part, well, this would be the mid to later part of the first century, I don't think it was Paul's intention to start a revolution because a revolution had already started. The revolution was that the Messiah had come. The revolution was that, that Christ had died for our sins and that the way then we approach God and we approach faith is totally different than what we did before. The revolution of Jesus Christ changed then the whole culture of faith and cultures in general. It set us free from many things. It wasn't a forcible overthrow, as the definition may imply, but it was certainly a new way of doing things. And this revolution that Paul shared was about faith of Christ as much as it was the faith in Christ. That we are only where we are today because of Christ's faith and the way that Christ followed through in God's plan. And now because we believe in Christ, then we receive the gift of salvation. We have a whole new identity. Christ changed the world the way that we see the world and how we see each other. And as Paul wrote his letters and he worked out for the early churches what this meant in day-to-day -day living, some of his letters then contain mini-revolutions. The revolution is believe in Christ. The mini-revolution is, well, how exactly does that live out in our daily lives? What kind of actual changes are going to take place? Well, in Christ, we have a whole new identity. As Paul writes in verse 27 in chapter 3, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. He's comparing it to, we're not wearing the same stuff we were before. You know, it's like you lived in Alaska, now you're living in Florida. You're going to change your outfit. You were wearing your grubby clothes of sin, but now you are going to wear your clean clothes of salvation. When we clothe ourselves in Christ, then, we take on his characteristics and we do our best to show Christ to the world. And this isn't just wearing t-shirts that say Amazing Grace on it or having our cross hanging from our neck. It's about taking on all of his characteristics, speaking his truth, and serving others with his generosity and compassion. And although we may look different than the rest of the world when we go out and do these things, when we are wearing the clothes of Christ, we will have an impact. 
Then Paul moves on to verse 29 to tell us that we are no longer Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, but all are one in Christ Jesus. That is a revolutionary statement. That would have knocked the socks off of the readers of Paul's day. Because culture was completely delineated in his time by your religion, by your status, and by your gender. And even as a Jew who would have converted to Christianity, the Old Testament delineates all of those categories as well. If you read through the, the Old Testament, there are rules for Jews and rules for Gentiles. There are rules for free people or masters and rules for slaves. There are rules for men and there are rules for women. None of those groups are treated equally. They are all separate with their own set of guidelines. Paul is saying here that when we put on the clothes of Christ, those distinctions are gone. There is not one set of rules for you and another set of rules for me. We are all one. There is neither slave nor free. Unfortunately, there was slavery in that area. But as a Christian, as a free Christian, you behave the same way as if you were a slave and a Christian. If you were a man, you... you were a Christian in the same ways, doing the same things as a woman. If you were a Gentile Christian, you did the same things, followed the same rules as a Jewish Christian. But even more important, within the Christian community then, you all treated one another the same. So at the communion table, when all would gather round, if you as a slave Christian came to the table, you were to be treated exactly the same as the richest person at the table. If you were a man who came to the table, you were to be treated the same as the woman. If you were a Gentile, the same as a former Jewish person. All of us together are wearing the same clothes of Christ. All of us then together are one in Christ. That is revolutionary. That is radical for Paul's day. And it's still, unfortunately, really radical for us today. Because how do we think of ourselves as Christians? Well, we're Methodists, or we're Baptists, or we're Catholics, or we're Lutherans. And, you know, I can't go into your church and receive communion because I'm not one of you. Now, in the United Methodist Church, everyone is welcome to take communion here. As a female pastor, I would not be invited to preach in some churches because of my gender. So we still have this problem. And I think this is particularly a problem because the rest of the world sees the problem in it. It leads to folks saying these Christians are hypocrites. They can't even get along. You know, were you dunked or were you sprinkled when you're baptized? As if one was better than another. We need to recapture that revolutionary spirit of understanding 
that we are all one in Christ Jesus. Yes, maybe you feel it's more appropriate to be baptized one way or the other, but I shouldn't look down on you because of that, nor should you look down on me. As Christians, we should be willing to work together towards the common good. Now, I don't know if you know this, but um, there's a new church starting here in town called The Gathering, and um, they have a feeding ministry that they do for folks who get meals on wheels. Well, they needed a new home for that. They didn't have any place to store their, their food stuffs and then to put together their baskets. So they came to us. And they said, do you have the space to accommodate us so that we can continue this ministry? Well, did I say, well, what is your view on baptism? Did I say, would I be allowed to preach in your church? I said, let's go look for space. Because we as Christians should be unified in the things that are most important, which is loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And loving your neighbor as yourself. Way too often we look upon just each other, followers of Christ, as an other. And when we do that, then the world looks upon us and says, what good are you? You are no different than the other judgmental person down the street. It's been a difficult concept for us Christians to embrace. Think of all the wars in Europe over whether you were Protestant or Catholic. I'd have been a preacher back in those days. Oh, wait, I wouldn't have been. I'm a woman. So where does that leave us now? That leaves us with a, a hard mission to complete, which is to live out our faith in a community of Christianity in a way that shows our unity and not our divisions. It's up to us to create the community of faith that doesn't have barriers, where people are no longer separated. And my goodness, what would that look like if we expanded that even more? Where we could be a community that's no longer separated by religion or culture or nationality or economics or gender. All of those things separate us in the church and in the world. If we're truly to be one in Christ, we should be able to overcome the divisions that break us apart as a community, that drive us away from each other. Instead, we should be united. One of the things that we often forget is that when God showed Abraham all the stars, way back in Genesis, when God showed Abraham all the stars and he said, I will make your descendants number all of these stars, that happened before there was a Torah, before there was a law. God told Abraham that all the children of the world are going to be our family. He didn't put a set of rules in front of Abraham at that point. He said, your family is going to number the stars. This is my family. 
That's why Paul says then in verse 29, and if you belong to Christ and you are Abraham's offspring, heirs to the promise. So let's fulfill that promise and show equality in Christ with one another and with other Christians so that we can share that love and that unity with a world that is so, so fractured. These are gonna be such important parts, points for us as we go forward as a faith in this century. It is so easy to not be a Christ follower because quite honestly, we don't often set a good example. So let's change our ways. Let's love one another within our church, within the church universal, and within the world. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, it is so easy to divide, to separate, to differ differentiate. We do it naturally, but we also do it sinfully. We do it in ways, God, that exclude even members of our own family. And God, you have called us to be your family in Christ. You have called us to be one. So Lord, help us to do, use your love and your strength to overcome the stereotypes that we know, to overcome the prejudices that we have in order to show love to all our brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us, God, to break down the barriers that you did not put there, but that we put there. Help us to break down those barriers, Lord, so that we can love one another and we can love the world. Help us to do all of that in Christ's name. Amen. This communion before us, this, this supper, this meal that we are going to share, this is the ultimate example of how we are united in Christ. How Christ gave this meal to us because Christ died for all of us. Christ came into the world so that we all might be made one in Christ and forgiven for our sins. We have the one loaf, again, to remind us that we are one body. And we have one cup that we share. As we share this communion, we share it with millions of other Christians around the world who recognize their need for forgiveness and also recognize the love and grace that is available in Christ Jesus. So let us come to this table of grace, this table of unity, this table of love. Let us pray. God, you created us, you gave us all things, and so often, Lord, we failed. God, we are so sorry that throughout history and even today, 
We have done things that have separated us from you and separated us from our neighbor. Even after Christ came, lived, and died for us, we still try to separate. But Lord, as we take this meal together, help us to not only remember Christ's sacrifice for us, but help us to remember our unity in Christ, that together we share his body broken and his blood poured out for all of us. Because on the night in which Jesus gave himself up for us, he took bread, he broke the bread, he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup. He again gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples, and said, take and drink all of you. This is my blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So now, Lord, we ask you to pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these gifts of bread and cup. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ so that we might be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. Make us one in Christ, and one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world. And we all say together, Amen. For those of you here in the sanctuary, we again have the all-in-one communion cup. So the ushers will come around and pass the plate, and you're invited to take it out. I invite you to keep it until you are out in a space outside of the sanctuary. There's a small film that you can access the bread with and then another film that you can access the juice with. So I invite the ushers to come forward.
Lord, we thank you for this meal that we have shared, this meal of grace, of forgiveness, and of unity. Lord, help us to take all that it means to us and live that out into the world. Amen. As far as news to share is concerned, a reminder, there's Knitting with Love on Monday that we have the food pantry on Tuesdays and Thursdays from 1 until 3 o'clock, and uh, that the Revelation Bible study is taking place on Tuesdays at 7. As our closing hymn, I invite you to stand in body or spirit and join with me in singing, In Christ There Is No East or West. It's number 548 in the United Methodist Hymnal. Share God's love and God's peace and the forgiveness that you know through Christ Jesus. Go out in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>